God gave you 100,000 watts of power, but it's up to you to put them to work. This is the John Adams Radio Show. Bringing you truth, justice, and the American way of making money. I'm John Adams. Seated firmly in the free enterprise chair, speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone, this is Excellence in Money Radio. Coming to you live from an undisclosed location in a bunker somewhere in the southeastern United States, perhaps Southern Command Headquarters, on beautiful St. Simons Island, the crown jewel of Georgia's coastal empire. Thence broadcast 23,300 miles directly into outer space. This week affiliates, SATCOM 5. Thence rebroadcast all across the fruited plain to our vast EMR network, 331 stations plus the island of Guam. That's just the way it is. I am thrilled to have you with us for this special edition of the John Adams Radio Show. Let not your hearts be troubled. We will solve your real estate problems today. And what a joy to be with you um, in Atlanta today, here at the EMR, high atop the EMR Tower in beautiful downtown Decatur. Um, You may be saying, wait, wait, John is not wearing a white shirt. And we need to advance here. Let's see, how do I do that? Ah, here we go. Don't want to start it again. No, there it goes. There we go. Um, I am not wearing a coat or a tie today because I had a closing this week, and it was a one I have been anticipating for quite some time. It's a great closing. And so I put some meat on the table. And um, as a result, I'm not shaving and I'm not putting a tie on until tomorrow when we have to go to church, when I will. But I knew that I could visit with you, my good friends, and we wouldn't have to worry about formalities. So here's our quote of the week from our friend um, Albert Einstein. Imagination is more important than knowledge. For knowledge is limited, whereas imagination embraces the entire world, stimulating progress, giving birth to evolution. Now, how does this apply to real estate? I know who you people are. Some of you, you people, some of you are totally focused on the knowledge part of real estate. And I'm going to be talking today about this little house that we just sold. 
And I had a five-year um, owner-financed mortgage on it. And it had been four and a half years. And we decided to get this house fixed up and put it on the market. And, buddy, it sold to beat the band. But it took imagination to make that house work. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about inflation versus appreciation and what the difference is between the two, because there really is a difference. But I just want you people to understand that imagination is a very real part of real estate investing. If you are overcome by the paralysis of analysis, and it's easy to do, you're leaving out one of your wonderful abilities that God has given you. You know, right between your ears, you have the most powerful computer, the most wonderful apparatus, and I think sometimes we need to exercise our imagination. Now, this week, we are not going to um, look at the slides of this particular property. I want to, um, I need to get those together, and I, they're all scattered, and I'll pull them together. But I'll tell you a little about some of the things we did, and it really took imagination. And my contractor was very helpful in this. I think I've got a pretty good sense of what people want in a house, especially a first-time house. And this is one that we put on the market. I thought it was worth maybe $240. We sold it for $260. Um, but it was beautiful. And it had been very, very modest. And there's nothing wrong with modest. I can tell you this, when we got done with that kitchen, it was nicer than my kitchen. We put in granite countertops, just beautiful, all new cabinets. I don't have granite at my house. Somebody sell me some granite. Somebody call me and sell me granite. But um, I, I what can I say, except that uh, uh, imagination is important. And that's our quote of the week. And so we'll just go on from there. What do we do now to profit from during a recession? I think I had several uh, uh, mailbag questions this week where people wanted to know about different types of loans. And I got hold earlier this week of Peter Burke, and we spent some time covering 10 different loans that real estate investors need to know about. And fortunately for you and me, Peter and his firm, Reliant Mortgage Solutions, offers all 10 of these types of loans. And I learned some things, and I think you will too as we go through that today. Special thank you to our sponsors, EXP Realty. If you're thinking about a career change, I'd love an opportunity to talk with you. Um, and you can do that by going to partnerwithjohnadams.com. 
Um, what else? How about, uh, oh, Peter Burke. That's right. Reliant Mortgage Solutions. Uh, Peter makes this program possible, among other things. Uh, and we certainly appreciate his support. You can reach Peter right now, by the way, at 678-557-9759. We're going to get back to Peter in just a minute. Please turn off your cell phone. Turn off your email browser. Don't try to do other things. Um, I, I, I will tell you what to think. So that's, that's why you're watching this program. But I do want you to put questions in Q&A because we're going to spend a little more time in Q&A today, especially when we get to, to Ian um, in the second hour. And there will be a recording available at realestatecoffeebreak.com. Uh, this is the program where we talk about creating wealth one house at a time. I call it a buy and hold strategy where you buy a detached single family rental home. It doesn't have to be detached, but preferably you rehab it. And that may be as little as painting it and cleaning it. It may be as much as we did to the little house we sold this week. Um, we added a full bath where none was before. We took a large closet and stole a little space out of the kitchen to make a second full bath. Now, it did have just a shower in it, but nonetheless, it was a very nice bath. And the house went from a uh, essentially a three-bedroom, one-bath to what essentially became a three-two plus a large den in addition to a living room and a beautiful kitchen. And that's what sold the house. We just opened it up in a big way, added a bath, made the kitchen beautiful, and uh, really did a nice job on the house. And it appraised. I was holding my breath on the appraisal, but it worked. And the, the rehab was, it was simply beautiful. Um, next, you rent that property out. Once you've rehabbed it, by rehabbing, you are adding value to the property, okay? You're adding real value. It's more desirable now. And trust me, there are plenty of houses. That Bill Hinton and I were just talking about this the other day about how many houses there are out there right now that are just ugly. And uh, you fix these things up and you can rent them. There's huge rental demand right now. And you rent it out at a profit, okay? And then after six months of ownership, you can do, if assuming you have planned this right, you can do a cash out refinance where you pull out the cash you put into it, or if you borrowed money to do this, say with a Discover loan or um, whatever. And we're gonna talk about these Discover loans in just a minute. Um, you pull your cash out and, and get ready to start buying another one. Um, and then you repeat that once a year. And once you've done this cash out refi, you're locking in positive cash flow indefinitely. And that's the way this works. Okay. 
So that's the buy and hold strategy in a nutshell. I believe you can retire comfortably on as few as 10 rental units, maybe less. I, I understand that we now are experiencing the highest inflation that we have in 40 years. That benefits those of us who leverage our real estate. Now, I want you to understand inflation is a tax. Inflation is perhaps the largest tax you and I will ever pay. This is how government works. We're going to look at that today. The Fed was pretty late to tap the brakes. We've had a spending spree like a drunken sailor. And the Fed was late to say, I mean, poor Janet Yellen. Boy, they got after her, didn't they? Poor Janet Yellen. I made a mistake. Duh. <laughs> Lady, you're the Secretary of the Treasury. You're not supposed to make mistakes. She didn't catch that where there was too much spending going on. And, of course, the government was just spending like printing money like it was water down the drain, paying people twice as much as they could earn working in unemployment. No wonder a lot of people haven't come back to work. You know, when we see these real low unemployment numbers, they're only counting people that are actually looking for a job. There are a lot of people that did so well with all of the stimulus, the stimmy checks, <laughs> that they, that they uh, are not going to come back to work. They just don't feel a need to. So now we need to do some sort of emergency stop because the we've got this wage price spiral that's going on. Has anybody been to the gas pump lately? Anybody go to the grocery store? Half of what you're seeing is the cost of fuel. What is the, it, Margie, you better look it up. What is the national average price today? Yesterday it was $4.99 a gallon. I'm assuming today it's going to be $5. And they're talking about six, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars a gallon. Why not? You know, the smart thing to do would be to move to selling it in pints. Because <laughs> we'd all think we were getting more. And what is what are there? 16 pints in a gallon? I think that's right. Four, oh, two, eight. Eight pints in a gallon. Um so what is one eighth? That'd be under a dollar. We'd be back at 78 cents per unit. I like it. Let's just move to pints, imperial pints. Um, if, we, if we could stabilize the dollar, inflation would subside. But the problem is I went to the store with Margie the other day and I said, I'd like a salad. And she grabbed a head of lettuce and it was on sale for $1.69. $5.004 is the at national average price. Margie, have you ever used this uh, uh, whiteboard thing? 
Well, I'm not going to try right now, but if I could figure out how to use the whiteboard, I would put the price of gas up on the screen, but I'm not going to for fear it would mess up. But if we could stabilize the dollar, then inflation would subside. But the problem is we can't. We can't stop spending. <sighs> Politicians aren't going to stop spending. That's the key here. So their only tool left is interest rates. If we could stop spending, inflation would stop. If we could just balance the budget, and if we could start making payments on the national debt. No, no, have you seen the national debt clock lately? Holy mackerel. <laughs> so their tool is interest rates. And this is going to, I think, if we're not already in one, um, this is going to bring on a recession. And I wish it didn't have to be that way, but I think it's going to, employment's going to go down because people won't be spending as much. Uh, people are already looking for ways to, to not spend as much. Skip a meal, skip a trip, um, don't buy gas. If gas is going to be... if uh, if if lettuce is a dollar sixty nine ahead, and sixty cents of that or fifty cents of that is the cost of getting it from California to Atlanta, I assume it's on a, a train or a refrigerated truck or somehow, but they're using a lot of diesel fuel to get it here, and that's tremendously more expensive. Gas prices have more than doubled in the last 18 months. And there's just not much excuse for it. Anyway, interest rates are going to go up. We've already started to see that. Um, the most recent thinking from the Fed is they had said they were going to go up 50 basis points. And see, this, while... Peter Burke would be very careful to remind us that the Fed does not set long-term rates, but the rates that the Fed does set influence what investors expect. And so it's safe to say that if the Fed goes up 50 basis points on their rate, we're going to see that translated into higher long-term mortgage rates. That's what's already happened. And that's why we're at five and a quarter, five and three eighths for 30 year money now when we were at two and a half and two and three quarters for a long time. And we'll see profits falling because there will be less business activity. People will postpone buying things. Instead of buying a new car, they'll try to get by with the old car. Instead of buying a new house, maybe they'll try to get by where they are. Uh, what's going to happen in housing? Well, the demand will decline because, because fewer people can, can qualify. As interest, this is just a fact. And we've talked at length about supply and demand. But as the interest rates for mortgages go up, the demand is going to decline because fewer people are able to purchase. Now, I'm not sure exactly how that translates 
and what will happen to the supply? Will more people try to sell? Or does that mean if the demand goes down? I'm afraid that demand is so high right now that even this decline in demand may not be enough to slow down the price of housing. And I say price, not value. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. But we've got a real supply and demand problem with housing in the United States. And I don't see the supply meeting the demand. Anyway, the Fed says that uh, the latest talk on the street is that on this interest rate increase coming up, and they've got two more this year, they've projected, instead of 50 basis points, this one may be 75 basis points because they feel like they've got to do something quick. And I'm just afraid that's going to be a a shock to the economy. We'll see. Um, Y'all have heard of Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Well, it was Carl Schiller who has studied home prices for years and years, and he says that real estate prices tend to be inflexible downward, which means if I can't sell for what I need to get where I'm going, I'll just stay here. I don't have to sell. The Look at the, um, go to Zillow sometime or go to realtor.com sometime and look at all the houses for sale. 95% of those people are simply testing the waters. They're not, they don't have to sell. They're not under duress. They're not facing a foreclosure. Okay. And as a result, if people can't get what they think they ought to get, they will just stay there. And rentals, of course, are simply a reflection of the overall real estate market. And there's a supply and demand problem in the um, home sales side. There is a supply and demand problem in rentals, particularly in affordable rentals. And right now, affordable rentals is anything under $1,000 for anything, which is sort of amazing. But I'm not kidding. So will home prices crash? Are we headed into a great recession where prices will come tumbling down? I don't see it because of the millennial generation. They're coming out of their parents' basement. They are starting their lives later. And they are finally buying in record numbers and look at this and we've talked about this before let me add the bright red arrow watch your screen there it is right now this is 2022 there are about 72 million millennials in the u.s and look what happens by the year 2033 there will be 75 million millennials and that are the projected population. In other words, they're more on the way. And these people are coming out of their parents' basements. They are approaching their prime earning years. They're getting married 
and they're having babies. And that's why I don't think home prices are going to collapse. Okay. So that being the case, let's do this. I want to talk with Peter about 10 different mortgage loans that you need to know about. And I'm going to do that by going to here. And we're going to start this. And I want you to watch this because Peter and I have a really good discussion. I, I hope this is helpful to you. Now, he's designed this cheat sheet, and you may want to get a copy of it. If you want a copy of the cheat sheet that we're going to cover here, all you have to do is call or text Peter, and he's going to tell you how to do that in just a moment. Don't go away. Watch this. We are back here on the Real Estate Coffee Break. I'm John Adams, along with our very special guest, Peter Burke of Reliant Mortgage, our gold sponsor for today, and the master of all things money. Hello, Peter. Good morning, John. Good morning, everybody out there. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday to you. And it's a nice Saturday, too. It's a slightly overcast, I think, at least it is here in Decatur, but... Uh, a, a delightful early summer day. Do you have plans? When is Father's Day? Is that coming right up? It is a week from tomorrow. Do you have big plans? Uh, I guess that's incumbent upon my children. Well, as you know, Margie and I don't have any children. The closest thing we have is little Tito, and he is very weak in the gift department. Hmm. So we're going to Kroger and buy some St. Louis style ribs, which I will be cooking on the big green egg. Very nice. Yummy. All right. We have, um, you have put together for the edification and enjoyment of the Coffee Break viewers and listeners, a cheat sheet of the various types of home loans and um, you're going to make that available to people who pick up the phone and call you. What is that number again, please? 678-557-9759. Very good. So what I want to do now, I'm trying to figure out how to do this. I've always got this. Ah, here we go. We're going to go right over here, and we are, in fact, going to uh, share our screen to get started here. And um, we don't need to share the sound. I'm going to go ahead and share the sound just because I'm afraid not to. There we go. And there's a picture of you and your phone number and your company and various license numbers. But the reality is... Um, you are the sort of go-to guy, Peter, for real estate lending questions. And I send people, people call me every day with, can I use this type of loan in this type of situation? And you've got so many different loans you offer that I find myself sometimes confused. And so you've put together a cheat sheet. Could we go over that right now? We can. Let's do it. All right, good. Here we go. I'm going to have to get out of this zip and get into. Now I can't find it. See, look at this. Look how confusing this is. 
This is very confusing. Wait a minute. PDF. Here it is. And so you've put together a loans at a glance cheat sheet. Are you seeing that on your screen? I hope I am not. Oh, you're not. Okay. Well, then we need to stop the share and we need to start over. Let's try this. Bingo. Are you seeing a picture of yourself? I am. Does it say loans at a glance? It does. We're in the right place because this is the cheat sheet for home loans that you have put together for us. And so I am going to scroll down here. And number one is a loan that I think a lot of people get started with. This is the FHA loan. And it, it says affordable housing program with easier credit requirements and down payments. Is that why many people start with an FHA loan, maybe on their first house? That's exactly why. The qualifications, the bar is lower than a conventional loan. And um, you can buy an, a single family, you can buy a duplex, triplex, or quad, as long as you're going to move into it with three and a half percent down payment. Would this make sense potentially for someone listening who is thinking about getting started in real estate investing? They come across a four unit building or even maybe a duplex and they're willing to live on one side and rent out the other. Would this potentially work? That is a great idea. Move into it, get the other side rented. Once you're comfortable and you want to move on, keep it, keep the loan in place. I like get another property and put a tenant on the side that you used to live in and hold it for 30 years. You'll retire wealthy. Well, that's the whole goal, isn't it? Um, if someone adopted that strategy and they really only plan to stay there 18 to 24 months, Assuming they didn't miss any payments, would the lender have any problem with them moving on, but continuing to own that property after, let's say, 24 months? The lender would not have any problem with it. Good, good. All right, well, let's move on down then. And uh, the next is, and I'm particularly pleased that this is still available. My dad, rest in peace, fought in World War II. And um, long after the war was over and long after his term of service was ended, he came to me and he and my mom wanted to buy a house over by Agnes Scott College where he taught. And as I recall, we got hold of you and you said, well, Mr. Adams, aren't you a veteran? And he said, oh yeah, but that was many, many years ago. And you said it didn't matter. And he got a VA loan and it was a pretty good deal for him. That VA entitlement is with you for as long as you're as long as you're alive. Yes. So this is a program that is a benefit to people who have served their country, um, who have been honorably discharged. And so it's not just for current military, it's for veterans as well. Is that right? Correct. And is it, 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 it is, you're saying it's a lifetime benefit. It's a, that, that's exactly right. It's called the VA entitlement. Yes. Is there a, um, 
if you're putting down, let's say, less than 20 percent, in fact, what what is the minimum down payment required on these loans? Zero. I beg your pardon? It's 100 percent financing. Wow. So this really, for someone who is a veteran, it's worth exploring. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. And they can call you about these loans, right? Yeah. And let's take it one step further. It's the veteran or their surviving spouse, too. I did not know that. Okay. Uh, very interesting. All right. Well, the, uh, I personally believe that our veterans have given us the freedom that we all enjoy and we can never repay them in full for their service to our country. And I, for one, and I'm happy this program's available and that you offer that as well. Yes. Now let's move on. I've always heard about this, Peter, and I've never done one. What is, I thought USDA stood for the Department of Agriculture. What is that all about? It is. Um, USDA administers this loan program and depending upon circumstances, it can be up to 100% financing, depending upon your income and census track. And as I recall, there are parts of, I believe, Cobb, uh, possibly Forsyth, that there are tr census tracts that are eligible under USDA and um, for buying a, a home to live in. Um, and I always encourage anyone to consider USDA financing depending upon the census tract and what their income is. You know, that is interesting because I don't think of Cobb County or even now Forsyth County as being rural or or in need of a uh, some sort of economic boost. But uh, you're telling me, depending on the census tract and various other factors, yes. it might be a possibility. Yes. And if the location qualifies and if you qualify, this is something that people should look at? Uh, by all means. Okay. Very good. That's I didn't know it went to 100%. I've just never done one. Now, here we're getting to something that I think most investors are pretty familiar with, conventional loans. But it says here you can go down to as low as 3%. I, I thought most conventional loans were 80, 90, 95. Oh, conventional loans to buy a home to live in if you qualify you can do it with 3% down payment. Very common. Um, I did not know that. And without going into a lot of details, um, what are the flexible options that we're talking about here? That's primarily around um, the mortgage insurance. Um, there are so many various ways of considering it separate, built into the interest rate, paid up front, it's got a lot of options. And when you're buying a house, um, <clears throat> it's worthy to consider those various options um, because it makes, especially if you're getting credit from the seller. 
Okay. Well, that's something else people can talk with you about, and options are a good thing. Now, we have talked before. You introduced to the public and, of course, to the Coffee Break audience here the Discover Loan, where we're, we're talking about the debt-to-income coverage ratio, and you dubbed that the Discover Loan. Uh, tell us again just a little bit about this loan. How can it be so flexible? Well, let's scratch that word debt to income because that's not what it involves. We're not considering your income on your tax return, your pay stubs. We are only looking to confirm that the rental income on that property is sufficient to pay the new mortgage payment. And in some cases, it doesn't have to be sufficient. So there's a lot of flexibility. But the key takeaway is, if you're self-employed, if you don't otherwise qualify with pay stubs, or for those folks who are a few years behind in filing their tax returns, believe it or not, this is the best alternative. There is no confirmation that you filed returns. Um, there is no need to look at them. We don't want to see them. We don't care about pay stubs. We are interested. Does the property, you have a lease, is it sufficient to pay the new mortgage payment that you're trying to apply for? Is this a loan that I would more likely use to refinance or do some renovations or acquire it? What, what are the applications here? Well, we, we do all three of them. We've done them to purchase vacant rental property. You want a long-term 30-year fixed rate mortgage and you don't want to use income to qualify. Great alternative. You have a property and you're have not filed your tax returns or your income is not sufficient but you want to refinance it this is the loan or if you're looking to, to purchase and renovate a property and you don't want to go through a hard money loan because of the costs this is a great alternative because it's got a more competitive rate a longer term and less fees than a hard money loan very and that's very, the renovation side of a discover loan all three of we, them are equally popular yeah we have got people right now listening uh, or viewing this this podcast that have been thinking about doing some renovation i know because i see them over at uh, home depot buying truckloads of lumber at outrageous prices but um, this type of loan is something they might want to think about, the Discover loan. Okay. Absolutely. Now, a subset of that, and we just talked about it, but mention how a loan like that could work on if, if you wanted to do new construction. So if you want to do new construction for the house you live in or a second home at the Beecher Mountains, if you want to build, you own a lot, you have your plans, you're looking for financing and you're a 
traditionally qualifying borrower where we're using income or tax returns, that's for number six. Um, okay. Or for an investment property. If you're doing the same thing, but we're not able to use income or tax returns, but you need renovation, we look to number five. Got it, got it. Okay, very good. Let's move right along. We're running out of time. All right, I thought somehow that down payment assistance had sort of been linked to the pandemic and that as we came out of that phase of US history, um, and COVID was lowering its ugly head, that down payment assistance had sort of uh, uh, dried up. Is that not the case? That is not the case. Believe it or not, most down payment assistance was traditionally tied to income. And we're finding that those same down payment assistance loan programs no longer have a cap on your income so you can now qualify for down payment assistance which is essentially a hundred percent financing even if your income is higher than you know the average median that we used to have to use for that very right. interesting um <clears throat> one key takeaway is it's a hundred percent financing you'll still need funds for closing costs um, and the like but to finance 100 percent of a home um, is still a pretty good deal and in a lot of instances there aren't these aren't geographically tied they could be in any area very interesting if if somebody is listening right now or or watching us on the internet and they're saying hey i know a friend that wants to own a home but they just can't raise this money it uh, can't come up with the down payment is this something that should be considered yes most of our customers on down payment assistance come to us as the children relative friends of existing customers by the way or they're listening here yeah, it's just, it's not getting a lot of press and I'm surprised that they're still out there. Now, here is a little twist on that, that you first introduced to me. And the way I remember it is um, at a certain point in a certain maximum number of dollars, Fannie Mae moved from what they call conforming, they, they sort of limit it and then other people step in and offer larger amounts, typically at a slightly higher interest rate, and we call those jumbo loans. But how can a piggyback first and second save me some money? Um, well, if you, let's say you're buying a home for 500,000 and you get a first mortgage for, uh, what is that, 400,000, and um, you get a 15% second mortgage for what is that uh 37.5 something like that okay or i can't do the math off the top of my head but and you're only having to put down five percent you're avoiding mortgage insurance long term and if your financial situation is hey i'm going to get my bonus at the end of the year 
I'm going to pay off that second mortgage and just be left with my first. It's something where if your, if your personal financial situation lends itself to, uh, I'm selling a home in th three months after I close. I don't, I, I wanna, I don't have the funds today, do it as a piggyback. And when you do sell your home, use those proceeds to retire that second on this new home. It's something you would want to do short term, not long term. Okay. But there are people that find themselves in that very situation. Yes. And if you're buying and selling in this environment and the market is slower and you're not able to sell your current home on your new home, you may want to consider a piggyback. And then once you sell your old home, retire that second. I'm glad we've got you around to help us with all this because there's an awful lot to remember. Now, this is one that I'm familiar with, the good old 30-year fixed rate mortgage. And, and this has been around since uh, right after the Depression, right? Yeah, I, I believe it was uh, Roosevelt era. The uh, I can't remember what he called it, but um, that's where 30-year mortgages started coming in. Well, and the beauty of a 30-year mortgage, and I've always recommended them because you get that stability of knowing exactly what your payment's going to be, um, even though the taxes and the insurance can go up as far as the principal and the interest, that is a fixed rate throughout the 30-year the term. You mentioned to me that somebody was even looking at 40 years now. FHA is deciding as to whether 40-year fixed rate financing to bridge the, um, the uh, qualifying gap of, well, the payment is too big on a 30-year, but on a 40-year, that borrower is qualified um, I wouldn't be surprised over the short term if we see more 40-year fixed rate mortgages. Well, I wish them well. But as you pointed out the other day, most of these loans don't make it to 10 years, right? No, I think the average is um, six, six and a half, five and a half. Isn't that interesting? People, we're a very mobile society, I guess. Of course, with gas, let's don't start on gas prices. Um, fixed rate mortgages. And then finally, are there any circumstances, Peter, where a purchaser or somebody refinancing would really want to consider an adjustable rate mortgage? I know when I started investing um, full time, this was back in the 80s, and fixed rate mortgages were almost at 20%. And so everything was adjustable. But in today's environment, is an adjustable even an option anymore? You're going to see them becoming more popular for exactly what you just said in the 80s. <laughs> We're back well, to the 80s, maybe. Well, I, I don't want to go back to the 80s. I'm, I'm forging ahead regardless of, of what everybody else does. Um, so that's interesting that the market is responding. Peter. I've got right here on the screen where people can reach you, 678-557-9759. 
Um, you have this in a PDF format, and we're going to do a couple of things. One, you're going to have available this cheat sheet. And if somebody wants that, what's the best way for them to get a copy of this? They can text me an ask, and I'll, uh, I can text them that PDF. Or if they want me to email it, they can text me and I'll email it to them. Or they can email me. But all there's right. all the info. Very good. And I know people are excited to see your license numbers. And, and I know that the Georgia Department of Banking and Finance is excited to see your license number. Especially if they're listening. My, my intelligence says that all of the top dogs down at the Department of Banking and Finance, watch the live version. At least I hope. So anyway, Peter, you've got a lot to, to keep up with as I look at all of these things. Holy moly, how do you do it? Well, <clears throat> uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. <laughs> Very good. Well, it's it's your job, and we appreciate you, and uh, uh, look forward to visiting with you again next week. Once again, Peter, what is that phone number? 678-557-9759. Fantastic. Peter Burke, thank you very much. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you, everyone. Happy Saturday. And we are back here on the real estate. And I did want to, uh, I, I know that went on a little bit long, boys and girls. Uh, by the way, those of you that are really sharp have noticed that I changed my shirt. And Margie said that the black shirt was uh, providing unusual contrast problems with my uh, skin tone. So she likes a white shirt better. So, but notice I'm not wearing a tie. Anyway, um, I wanted to thank Peter. Um, Margie, if you're listening, we need to get that the PDF over to Peter so he can share it with people that are calling him right now. The reason that we went on a little longer with that segment was that I wanted to cover in one place uh, uh, the 10 different types of loans and I want you to see, as investors, we have different needs. Sometimes we want to own this property for a long time. Sometimes we just want to get in, fix it up, and then sell. And those are very different types of loans. And I just want you guys to know that Peter's been around long enough and has done enough investing himself. Um, he is one of the top mortgage lenders two real estate investors in Georgia. And uh, I'm proud to have him as a sponsor on this program. And I uh, commend him to you. Real quickly, let's do this. I'm going to hold off on the hacking. Um, I, I had um, Tyler Jones of Carmichael Consulting joined me to pre-record a session on how we can avoid dealing with ransomware 
and whether or not it's a threat. The answer is yes, we can deal with it, and yes, it is a threat, but we're not going to get to it this week uh, because um, when we come back from the break, I want to jump into a quick discussion, and I'm going to have Ian with me to help me. We're going to talk about the difference between appreciation and inflation. Appreciation and inflation. Because we've been dealing with a lot of inflation right now, and yet the value, the, the price of homes has been uh, rising faster than the rate of inflation. How can that be? What is going on? And again, it has to do with supply and demand, but I want to talk. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we are going to talk specifically about the difference between appreciation and inflation and how inflation can benefit um, us as real estate investors. So why don't we do this? Let's take a short break because it is now 1158 and that's in terms of government work, that's pretty close. And I'm gonna see if I can get to 87, call for 87. There it is, wow, that worked. All right, let me share this screen and we'll have, uh, I'm gonna go get another cup of coffee and we will be right back. How's everybody today? Um, this is Saturday, June 11th. Um, and my goodness, what a interesting time we are in. I do want to talk with you about, let me get this queued up here if I can't. No, that's not what I want. Here we go. Let's go to, let's talk about inflation versus depreciation and I mean versus appreciation and um I guess I do need to share that now don't I yeah okay here we go we'll do that and we'll share the sound there we go um and I'm gonna put this in side by side so uh, we can you and I can visit while we're, and by the way, if you look on your screen, look at this, this is pretty cool. Um, there, my picture should be on the right and the slide should be on the left and there's a little thing between it. If you put your cursor on that thing, you can change the size of me. You can make me bigger, you can make the slides bigger, you can make me go away. I've put you in charge, but I sort of like the side by side. 
Um, so anyway, let's talk a little about inflation. We are experiencing some serious inflation right now. And um, this is, they say, the worst in 40 years. John Schaub told me years and years ago that inflation was the way government works and that it is a form of taxation. And I really think uh, these two words, inflation and appreciation are often confused, but they are entirely different concepts. And yet each one benefits the real estate investor. And that's what I'd like to talk with you about. They're two entirely different processes so let's look at them and see how they impact you and me. First, let's define inflation. Inflation corresponds to a reduction in the purchasing power of money. Okay? In other words, everything costs more. You make $100 a day and you used to buy gas for um um, 250 a gallon, and now you're paying $5 a gallon. That's inflation. It is caused by excessive growth in the money supply. Now, in the case of gasoline, it also was caused by a decision on the part of this administration to limit the supply that by uh, canceling uh, exploration in Anwar by eliminating uh, drilling offshore and by canceling the Keystone XL pipeline. But inflation is a reduction in the purchasing power of the money. So it increases, there's an increase in the opportunity cost of holding money. Opportunity cost is what it costs you to not invest. So if you have savings, if you have retirement dollars and inflation occurs, then that sum of money has a reduced purchasing power and it's hurting you. Now, it also can result in shortages of goods as consumers begin hoarding. And I think to some extent, this is what has happened with real estate. I think a lot of people are buying houses now because they're afraid they won't be able to later. I may be wrong, uh, but we'll see. Now, here's a term that I want you to become familiar with. By the way, what's a good example of this? Well, the hoarding, of course, was, do you remember at the beginning of the um, um, COVID, there was no toilet paper? There was no toilet paper. And it turned out some people had gone out and bought all the toilet paper in the world and filled up their basement with it. And that's hoarding, which is crazy. Thank goodness you can't hoard gasoline or people would do that. I found out gasoline has a specific shelf life. Did you know that? It does. It doesn't last indefinitely. Anyway, here's a term I want you to understand. Fiat currency. No, I'm not talking about the car fiat. Fiat currency um, is 
the ability of a government to print something on a piece of paper and convince you that that piece of paper represents a certain value. So let's let's get out. Where's my hundred dollar bill? I've lost all my hundred dollar bills. All right, I'll get it out of my damn pocket. I hate it. I swore years ago I would never in my life be caught without money again. And so I carry a hundred dollar bill everywhere I go. Now, here we go. Are you familiar with this? I think the answer is yes. Okay, so we're all we've all seen that and it it has this weird thing on the that side, okay? This is fiat currency. And what that means is this piece of paper is really worthless, except that it says right on it, $100. And this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. And it's signed by a couple of people I've never heard of. Steve Mnuchin, I don't remember him. Um, and on the back is Independence Hall in, I guess that's Philadelphia. Okay. So what is this worth? Well, it's, it's theoretically worth $100. Um, the problem is, what's a dollar worth? <laughs> we don't know. But fiat currency, the, the introduction in history of fiat currency did a couple of things. One, it greatly improved the ability of peoples to exchange goods and services. So in other words, if all you know how to make are, are uh, uh, arrowheads, you know how to chip flint and make arrowheads, but you don't know how to make wheat or corn. And all I know how to do is make corn, but I don't know how to make an arrowhead. You and I would have to exchange corn for arrowheads. And I don't know how we would come to it's sort of what's the arrowhead worth? What's the corn worth? Well, the corn will keep me alive. The arrowhead will allow me to um, uh, kill a deer and have meat for the winter. Okay. So uh, you can see how that's pretty restrictive. Once we have fiat currency, um, our ability to trade is dramatically increased. Um, in contrast, appreciation is a reflection of a change in the actual asset itself. And by the way, this is not an asset. This is just a piece of paper. It happens to have some things on it that you and I trust, but in reality, this piece of paper in and of itself isn't worth a lot. Okay, so let's talk about appreciation. It's a reflection in the change in the actual asset itself. So let's talk about a house. Over a period of time, and I'm as you, as you many of you know, I own homes here in Decatur. And Decatur has a fabulous school system. I'm talking about the city of Decatur, not DeKalb County. All right, DeKalb County has had its challenges, but the city of Decatur 
we have some of the highest school taxes in the state of Georgia, and it's because the people who live in this small community of 18,000 people, it's two miles by two miles, a small little town, decided years ago we were going to have top flight schools no matter what it cost, and we have great schools. And as a result, people have over the years been willing to pay me more to rent my rental properties if they're located inside the city limits of Decatur because then their kids could go to Decatur High School. Then they could go to Westchester Elementary or Claremont or uh, the, the other or uh, Oakhurst or Winona Park School or Fifth Avenue. All of these, and it's a very small school system, and yet it is known for excellence. In that case, the schools caused appreciation. Now, Margie and I both went through the schools, and we knew that the school system was great. So was it logical for me to want to own property inside the school district? And I think the answer is yes. Was that using inside information? The answer is yes. It's not widely known. I mean, it's not a secret, but I know it because I went to Decatur schools. Likewise, terrible schools do the opposite. Nobody wants to live in certain counties, which shall go nameless. Thank goodness for coffee. Nobody wants to live in certain counties, which shall remain nameless, because the schools are a mess. And if, if, if you don't, if you haven't had kids, which I have not, we love other people's kids. We really do. Um, but at the end of the day, they go home. I'm sort of like a grandparent to a lot of kids. Anyway, um, a, a, a terrible school system can cause depreciation. And this is entirely different from inflation. A newly desirable location would be an example of appreciation. How would you have a newly desirable location? Well, let's say, um, are you guys all aware about this Rivian plant? What, you know what I'm talking about? Rivian, the, um, is that the name of it? The truck manufacturer? They're building, they're going to build electric trucks out south of Social Circle, out I-20 East, and sort of between Athens and I-20, somewhere out there. And the, guess what? They're going to have a lot of high paying jobs where people are gonna build these electric vehicles, these electric trucks. I think it's called Rivian. I don't know what it's called. Anyway, all of a sudden, guess what? People are gonna need to live near that plant, it's a high paying job, and they won't be able to buy a house because the houses are too expensive. So if you found a fixer upper, bought it and fixed it up, that would be appreciation because of a newly, well, you fixed it up too, but a newly desirable location. 
or appreciation can occur as a result of a change in an Im uh, or improvement or change in the improvement. For example, if you rehabbed the property or you added a wing or you added a bedroom on the back or you added a, uh, a bathroom or you remodeled a kitchen, okay? That is appreciation. And that's, uh, another would be a new ability of the asset to make money. What would be an example of that? How could an, uh, a, a piece of real estate all of a sudden start to make money? What if you uh, discovered oil in your backyard? Is there oil under Georgia? Does anybody know? I, I don't know. In any case, it's something I'd like you to think about. That's appreciation. It's a reflection of a change in the actual asset itself. Now let's talk about inflation and how it benefits real estate. Fiat currency, we have some right here. Here's our fiat currency. Um, it has no intrinsic worth. What it's printed on is worthless. And it's money that the government guarantees as legal tender. It's only worth the paper it's printed on. And fiat money derives its value from the government regulation or law. Now, this is in contrast to commodity money. And commodity money would be an example of Australian gold corona or the U.S. silver, uh, U.S. Uh, uh, eagle gold dollar or the gold $50 piece or whatever that thing is. I just sold three of them. But the money is made of a commodity such as gold, okay? And there's a, a value attached to that separate from uh, a piece of paper. Now, I'm not sure why people are so excited about gold, but they are. So it, it looks nice, I guess. Um, inflation is a real problem. And by the way, I want you to understand this is not about politics. I thought this cartoon was funny, uh, but it's just as bad when the Republicans are in power as when the Democrats are in power. And if we elect socialists or communists or uh, whoever we elect, this is the way government works. And uh, how do you fight inflation? Spend more. And that makes the inflation worse. And you can see the driver of the truck here is a little worried, but spending makes it worse. And here's uh, uh, the president saying, I got this. So um, Thomas Sowell, I don't believe is with us anymore. Is that correct? One of the great economists uh, to come out of the United States, I think the Chicago School and I think he studied under Milton Friedman. I'll have to check on that. Um, I think Dr. Sowell has gone to his reward. Somebody check on that. Because if he's still around, I might see if he'd be willing to be on this show. Anyway, he says inflation is a quiet but effective way for the government to transfer resources from the people to itself without raising taxes. You got it? It's a quiet 
but effective way for the government to transfer resources from the people to itself without raising taxes. Well, what does that mean? That means they can print money. That causes inflation. Uh, the definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods and services. Too many dollars. When you flood the money supply, guess what? You get inflation. And inflation causes money to be worth less over time. It allows the government to spend more now. This is how government works. It pushes everyone into a higher tax bracket. It allows the government to pick winners and losers. And it robs those who have saved over the years in whatever for retirement or whatever they want, savings are just looted by inflation. And inflation rewards those who leverage long-term. This is the way that government works. It always has and it always will. Now, if any of you believes that there is a politician somewhere that is going to get in office and whip inflation now and forever, I'd like to know who it is. I just don't see it happening. Okay. So now we're going to get into real quickly, uh, you need to know about Europe in the Middle Ages because that's where a lot of our traditions come from. And there were three classes of people. There were the serfs, the, the servants, the lowest class. And there was the nobility. The nobility owned land. And they owned land and they weren't threatened because they couldn't imagine any other form of wealth. Land was wealth. And they got the land because the king said they could have the land. Okay, that's the way it worked. And so you had the nobility and you had the serfs. And as towns began forming, there arose a different class of people from the serfdom that arose to, they were sort of the earliest business people, if you will. They were not nobility, but they did pretty well because they would handle the exchange of items and make a little bit off of each transaction. And this became known as the bourgeoisie. Whoa! That's a great word. Let's say that together. Bourgeoisie. It's a fun word to say. Bourgeoisie. It's French, and it means the middle class. Okay? Um, from the serfs of the Middle Ages sprang the chartered burghers. And the burghers were like the mayor or the um, uh, head merchant of this. It was like a chamber of commerce as much as anything else. Um, if you have ever been to, and if you haven't, you need to do this, um, in Belgium, in Brussels, Belgium. Margie, what 
Are you out there? She's gone. Um, if you go to Brussels, Belgium, they, Margie in Brussels, what is the name of that big square in the heart of Brussels? Well, Margie and I've been there several times. It's remarkable because of these beautiful preserved uh, homes or, or businesses from the Middle Ages, and each one was built by a different um, uh, labor union, if you will. So one was the leather workers, one was the butchers, one was the dressmakers, one was the hat makers, one was, uh, and they called these guilds. Up the Grand Place, thank you. I should have a picture of the Grand Place here. But anyway, these people that worked in these mid-level jobs were known as the bourgeoisie. They weren't servants, and yet they weren't nobility. And they did not own land. The people of the towns had no land. They were descended from servants, and land was wealth in feudal times. So the bourgeoisie was the middle class. Let's forge ahead. Vladimir Lenin, the whole idea of communism is to crush the bourgeoisie because these are the people who are materialistic. These are the people who are trying to take advantage of the workers. And the workers are known as the proletariat. So you have the nobility, they're evil. We gotta kill them. There's the bourgeoisie, that's the middle class. They're even worse because they're trying to get ahead, according to Lenin, on the backs of the servants or the workers. And then the proletariat, which is Lenin considers himself to be the savior of the proletariat. And he said the way to crush the bourgeoisie is to grind them between the millstones of taxation and inflation. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> what have we been doing, folks, for the last 40 or 50 years here? Has our middle class been almost crushed between the millstones of taxation and inflation? I think that's largely the case. One of the reasons I like real estate so much is that it's one of the last areas where the average person with average education and average um, um, access um, to money and, and average abilities can get ahead. You can buy a house a year for 10 years and you're set for your retirement, unless you really mess up. But I don't know, I, I've always thought of myself as middle class. My mom taught school and taught violin lessons and my dad played in the Atlanta Symphony and he taught violin lessons. And I think that's pretty much middle class. I'm certainly not nobility. I don't think of myself as a servant. So I'm bourgeoisie according to Vlad here. 
And the easy way to crush me is between the millstones of taxation and inflation. Well, now you know where this comes from. So how does inflation benefit the real estate investor? Well, let's take a look. Inflation is a real tax. It's just as real and at times nearly as important as the individual income tax. And while inflation clearly does reduce the purchasing power of your earnings and your fixed income asset values, it also redistributes purchasing power from businesses and households to the federal government. All right, you got that? Does that make sense? Think about, who was it? Um, um, Pfizer. Pfizer came up with the COVID-19 shot. They were one of the first. Johnson & Johnson was another. There was another I don't remember. But think how much money Pfizer has made because the government, the uh, uh, FDA, decided to approve their COVID shot. And I think the government bought like 50 or 100 million of those things and just handed them out. Um, Right, right. Margie points out that she and I were in Argentina. We've been there several times. And it's amazing because their inflation in Brazil, they have inflation of 50 and 100% a year. And the nobility or the upper class, it's, it's probably middle class, upper middle class anyway, in Argentina counts on a huge devaluation of the currency every 10 years because they invest in hard assets and it makes them fabulously wealthy. It's a redistribution scheme. This is the way government works, okay? It's a tax. Now, leverage allows you and me to own a large asset with little or no cash. So if we borrow $200,000 at 5% for 30 years and we experience inflation, the price of the asset, that's the house, increases. Notice I said the price, not necessarily the value. It's just the price. That increases, but we're paying the money back in dollars that are worth less. And over 30 years, there can be a lot of inflation. And there has been, and there will be. Now let's assume that we rent the house at break-even cash flow, and we're only making interest payments. So in other words, the balance doesn't change. Are you with me? That's one of my great Errol Flynn moments. Are you with me, men? And they always say, yes. Okay, time to watch an Errol Flynn movie. Um. I want you to know about the rule of 78s. And this is where people start yawning. And I understand we're not gonna spend a lot of time on it, but you just need to know that the price of an asset will double as soon as the rate of increase multiplied by the number of periods equals 78. And we express that rate of increase at let's say 10% a year. And we know that if a house is worth $200,000 now, and we experience 7.8% inflation, 
in 10 years, it'll be worth 400,000 or it'll sell. The price will be 400,000. Okay. That's the rule of 78. So no matter how you get to it, that will tell you. And I think there's a, a for tripling, it's something like the rule of 114. I don't know. I don't remember. I learned all this. So if we use that $200,000, remember we put down 5%, we got a loan or what, what did we buy? I forget now. If we borrow 200,000, right, we buy a house and let's just say we got a hundred percent loan. Okay. Um, if we use that 200,000 to buy a house priced at $200,000 and we experience 7.8 years of inflation at 10%, the price of the asset has doubled in price, but we still owe $200,000. So we sell it for 400,000, pay off the 200, and you now have $200,000 in your pocket. Is that profit real? Sure is. Will it buy as much as it would have 7.8 years earlier? No, but it's still real. It's money, okay? So the price is affected, not the asset. And that's how inflation helps you and me as real estate investors. There's Here's another way, remember I said, we're just trying to get to the number 78. In this last example, we had 7.8 years of inflation at 10%. That equals 78. So the value of the home or the price of the home doubled. Here's another way of doing it. How about if we have 10 years of inflation at 7.8%? And remember, during 2021, we had in excess of 20% increase in the price of real estate. And I'm only talking about 7.8%. So 10 years at 7.8%, the price will double. We sell it for 400, we pay off the 200. Is the $200,000 of profit real? And the answer is yes, indeed it is. Here's another way. If we use that $200,000 we borrowed to buy a house priced at $200,000 and we hold it for 78 years and the inflation is at 1% a year, guess what happens to the price after 78 years? One times 78 equals 78. Therefore, the price of the asset will double. But we still owe $200,000. Is the two and we sell it for four hundred? Is the two hundred thousand dollar profit real? Yes, it is real. So why invest in real estate? And the answer, the reason we invest in real estate is because we can easily use leverage, and real estate is a hedge against inflation. Well, why can't we? Why can't we leverage stocks and bonds? It's because the people that have the money to lend don't believe that stocks and bonds are a safe long-term investment. Therefore, if you do borrow money to buy stocks 
and the value of the stock goes down, you're going to get a call from your stockbroker saying, hey, this is a margin call. We need you to pay up. Your, your, your stock's gone down. Okay? There's no margin call in real estate ever. Uh, okay, then why can't we buy... Uh, invest in gold and silver. Gold and silver would be a good hedge against inflation. Well, there's a problem there. Gold and silver have no inherent value as collateral. You can't live in gold or silver. You can't eat it. You can't, it, it won't make income for you unless you're in the selling business. And all I'm saying to you is real estate is easy to leverage and nothing else safe is. So six reasons why real estate is, I've always said ideal, and we've talked about five. Now I'm saying ideally. <laughs> I've got the word ideal followed by a small I for inflation because I've finally, after all these years, come to realize that inflation will always be with us. Sounds almost scriptural, doesn't it? Income, the real estate produces income, and that income in the form of rent can be used to pay for the asset. Depreciation and other tax benefits are simply too good to be true. Equity buildup, over, in, in terms of traditional mortgages, a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, over time, you will pay off the loan and you'll end up owning the asset free and clear. That just happens automatically. It's like a savings account. Appreciation is when you do something to the asset and increase its value. We're gonna talk about in just a minute what some of those things are. Leverage is when you use a small amount of money to control a much larger asset, like putting down 5% to buy a house, and inflation, inflation, leverage and inflation combined work for the real estate investor. So how does, what, and we talked about inflation, what about appreciation? Appreciation benefits real estate too. So what is appreciation? Appreciation is when the true intrinsic value of something increases. So is there any intrinsic value in this? There really is not. It's just a piece of paper. And I didn't say when the price or the cost of it increases, but the value. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. What is the value? Okay. Appreciation is when something becomes more valuable, more desirable, and more useful. So here are a few examples of how your property could truly appreciate. You live in a town that is immensely more desirable than it was when you bought the property. And many people are moving to town. Increased demand for the same supply. Got it? That's, that's not inflation. That is appreciation because what people are willing 
to pay has increased because you're in the right place at the right time? Or what if you struck oil in your backyard? I'm always amazed when I watch the Beverly Hillbillies, the, the opening song by Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs, where uh, Jed Clampett was hunting for some food, uh, shot his his uh, flintlock rifle, and up from the ground come a bubbling crude oil, that is, Texas tea, black gold. And you struck oil in your backyard, okay? Is that appreciation? Yes. It is not inflation. Or, and now we're talking about Social Circle, Georgia, a major employer announced it was building a facility two miles from your house that will employ 5,000 people. And each one of those is going to need a nearby house to live in. Now, they could commute from Savannah to Social Circle, but that gets old pretty quick. And so now investors are looking near Social Circle to see if they can pick up a little rental house near the Rivian plant. That's appreciation, okay? So there's passive appreciation. For example, Jed Clampett finding oil. He didn't do anything, um, and that's pretty passive. Or your neighborhood becomes very popular. If you owned a house in Buckhead 40 years ago and you've just held on to it all these, these years, it's gone way up in value because Buckhead is very popular. You didn't do anything to your house. It's just a great location. Or Amazon locates their world headquarters nearby. Do you remember the city of Stonecrest? Stonecrest Mall, they incorporated right around Stonecrest Mall and they had offered to change the name of the town legally to Amazon, Georgia, if Amazon would move their eastern headquarters to Stonecrest. And of course, Amazon decided not to um, come to Georgia, which is just as well. But that's passive appreciation where you have nothing to do with it. But is there forced appreciation. This is where you and I make our money. And do you remember I talked earlier about Albert Einstein? And he said how powerful imagination was. You've got to be able to walk into a house that is a D-U-M-P dump and imagine it as a beautiful rehabbed house perfect for the first time home buyer. And that's what we did this past week with the little bitty house we sold to first time buyers. They are thrilled to be in the house. And I sold that house for $260,000, which I find hard to believe. But we forced appreciation on it. So in the world of stocks and bonds, if you use insider information, let's say you have stock in um, Pfizer, and you happen to, as, as a 
management person at Pfizer find out confidentially that the government is about to buy 100 million doses of COVID-19 shot, and that's not public information, and you go out and you buy a million shares at a low price, and then it's announced the next day. That's insider information, and that is considered fraud. And you will go to jail. If you don't believe me, ask Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart went to federal prison for using insider information. And yet, my friend Ian Robbins deals with people that are moving every day and he knows what parts of Atlanta are hot, what parts of Atlanta people are moving to, and I would submit that that is insider information. So should we prosecute Ian Robbins? I noticed he left when he heard his name. Should we prosecute him for real estate fraud? I say no, we don't prosecute. <laughs> okay, why? because it's also public information in some way. Well, no, it's insider information. You can use it in real estate all day long. You know, John, you're right. And um, I think as investors and everybody listening, there are different ways and different signs of, of a divorce or uh, maybe looking at properties and seeing that they're going down in value. There's signs out there that you can look for to see that they might be a motivated seller. Absolutely. The, um, what is the name of, can't remember it, the Atlanta uh, something commission, development commission, or you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, they had for years, they had a project 2021. This was all during the teens. And they were trying to project where um, Atlanta was growing. Well, Atlanta Regional Commission, that was it. Right. And they come out every year with a very detailed uh, summary of what their experts think is happening in the much larger Atlanta metro area. And I have used that, and I would call that insider information. I if they say, we believe in the next five years, there's going to be tremendous growth up 400, I'm going to skedaddle up 400 and get familiar with what's going on up there and see if there's some opportunities. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen, but most people that buy a house don't look at that kind of information. And in real estate, insider information is not only allowed, but it's encouraged. And that's an excellent example, John, because the Atlanta Regional Commission, the report is available for everybody, but for someone to know that that's the information available and to go through it is probably boring in some areas, really got to think about it, but that's worthy of people's time if they really want to know and, and they can predict the future and they may not be right. There's a little bit but, of a gamble. Exactly. And, and of course, we know we're taking a chance anytime we buy a piece of real estate. But don't you want to arm yourself with the best possible uh, probable outcome? Nobody can guarantee, but this Rivian, is that what it's called, that electric truck thing? Yes, Rivian. Rivian. That's going to be 
a big deal, I predict. And I think they plan to employ thousands of people at a high-paying job, and it's going to be somewhere south of social circle. Why aren't we out there beating the doors down looking for a fixer-upper? We should be. And that's not secret information, but it is sort of insider. So this is an example of forced appreciation. Let's look at another example here. Paint, paint, paint. I love paint. And I was stunned to find out, Ian, it costs $25 a gallon now. Yep, it's going up for sure. I can't believe it. What The last time I bought paint, I went to Sears and it was like a dollar a gallon. <laughs> well, that's another type of appreciation there, John. But I do agree with you that there is paint and you've taught me that for years. But I learned there's a little bit more about fixing the hole first and couple other things but well there's yeah there are a couple of holes there but but even if you didn't fix the holes if you painted it you know i've always said if you are faced with a terrible house the first thing to do is clean it out get everything out of it and paint it top to bottom because until you've done that you can't really see what you've got and there are too many things influencing your opinion of the property. Absolutely. And, and I yeah, think the investors you, listening, also when you do that clean out, John, they usually find some cool things. Just want to plant that ab seed. Absolutely. And by the way, without mentioning the street address, but I think you know the little house that I'm talking about, that one, before we painted it and cleaned it up, it was stinky. It was awful. The lady had had cats and it smelled to high heaven. And it was very difficult to even imagine the house being nice. But when you saw it, Ian, how would you characterize that property when we got done? John, you and Margie did a great job and you had a lot of vision. And it was, and the pictures made it look even it was incredible. It was, yeah, yeah. The, uh, I give Pam Lanchev at uh, EXP Realty credit. She got a photographer who somehow made that house look even better than it is. Um, we need to get him for a sponsor on this show. But anyway, this is what I call forced appreciation. In other words, this is something you have done that causes the real causes it to be more desirable than it was before. And I always start with paint and cleanup. Now on that particular house, Ian, do you remember we took what was a, they had this large closet off the front room that I didn't think really was necessary. And we expanded that a little bit. You remember that kitchen was just huge. It was too big, frankly. And so we knocked down the wall and expanded that closet and there was plumbing right next to it for the washer and dryer and my contractor said why don't we add a bathroom here in fact i think he originally wanted to do a half bath my idea is look if you can do a half bath buddy you can do a whole bath margie and i stayed in a hotel in new york one time and anybody who has stayed in the older hotels of new york know that they a lot of them are old, old apartment buildings that have been converted into hotels to beat rent control. And so help me, 
that this old, old apartment building used to have common bathrooms and showers on the hall, which I don't mind at all. That's sort of like dormitory housing, big deal. But they had put a tiny, the sink, I swear, was no bigger than a Kleenex box. Yeah, it's like but, an airport. But, airport. It might, but it was a sink. And the toilet was jammed in. And I'm not going to tell you the shower was about three feet by three feet, maybe even less, maybe 36 by 30. I could hardly get into it, much less turn around. But guess what? It counted as a, a full bath. And they rented that um, as a hotel room with an ensuite bath. And it was $400 a night. <laughs> There's a waiting list. I'm telling don't laugh. Uh, New York, and I love New York. I, I, to me, if, if anybody that's listening, if you guys have never been to New York, uh, wait until the crime gets down a little bit, but you've got to go. It is the heartbeat of America. You'll see more people from more different places, from more backgrounds. And it's, it, to me, it is, it's truly inspirational um, to be. Absolutely, John. It's a melting pot in a melting pot. And I will tell you this, going back to the adding a bath to the forced appreciation with that house that you're referring to, you know, everybody listening, what would you rather be selling, a 3-1 or a 3-2? And what John and Marjorie did is realize a 3-2 is much more, in today's day and age, uh, I think much more appealing and probably paid for itself many, many times over in what well, you got what from the house. It did, what it did, and you're exactly right, Ian, is that it pushed that property the improvement on the property, it pushed it into a different price range from a 3-1 to a 3-2, and that's a fairly nice leap in dollars and cents. And I, I told you, Ian, that I was thrilled. I try to stay out personally. That's why I hire somebody else to sell the property. I don't want to be involved you know, with the people and have them say, oh, we'd like you to change this. What's for sale is for sale. Either buy it or don't buy it, okay? But I did find out that these kids, it's a Hispanic couple, a young couple. They've worked very, very hard to be able to afford to buy this house. They finally, no thanks to the lender, got approved. They have a six-year-old who absolutely loves the backyard. And I'm personally thrilled that they're able to participate in the American dream. I think it's a great, great thing for them, and I'm happy for them. But adding a bath is a good example of forced appreciation. Did you notice, Ian, on that house, we saved the cabinets, but put on all new cabinet fronts and hardware? Absolutely, and I think it looked great. and. You don't have to take away all the cabinet, but you certainly did what was important and it still looked fine. Now, I spent over $1,500 on granite to put in there. I don't have granite in my house. I, I, 
I, you know I'm cheap. I mean, I've always been cheap. We have, Margie says, I never fix anything up until we're ready to leave. <laughs> well, that's not entirely true. She just said, yes, it is. <laughs> well, in any case, we really made the kitchen very attractive because Ian, as you have said, um, having a kitchen, if, if you're going to put your money somewhere, the kitchen and the bath are areas that it makes the most sense. Um, remember on that property, we repaired the deck, but we came very close to replacing the deck and came to the conclusion that replacing the deck really wouldn't add much because the deck that was there, while it was not brand new, we were able to repair it and it was perfectly functional and it was a nice deck. But, it was a nice well, deck. And yeah. not only that, Don, going back to all the repairs that you did, I think, yeah, there are products out there to get rid of the cat smell, but I think with all the replacing, there's a lot that you took out just by, just by all the work that you did, it took out the cat smell, smell by design. In other words, it was, it was part of it. You could still use chemicals, but a lot of the replacing did the work for you. Yeah, and and the everybody wants a nice place to live. I mean, that's pretty basic. And so if I can do some things to a property that has been, um, let's say, uh, has deferred maintenance, that's a very polite way of saying that people have not kept this house up. And if the whole world has problems, you know, I don't want to get into all that, but there are reasons that people don't keep a house up. And we all know that if you don't mow the lawn, the, the yard's going to look crazy. If you don't trim the bushes, they're going to grow up over the house. If you don't paint the house, eventually the, all the paint will peel off and the wood will rot. I mean, there's some things you have to do. You got to clean the gut. I mean, there's, it's just part of it. But if you don't do that, and as an investor, if you and I are able to come find that house, acquire it and do these things, and then offer on the market a clean, decent, and affordable home, and I would go beyond that and say this was even nicer. By the way, we put brand new Samsung stainless steel appliances in there, and it wasn't easy to get them. I had hey, to- John and yeah. not only that you had to find them you had to pay a premium for them but once again they paid for themselves because right down the street from there i didn't go into this but there's a used uh appliance store that i buy from but you did the right thing because you were selling retail and you went first class to the paid for itself and, and that's the type of a vision that's important well really and i i talked about albert einstein who said imagination is more important than knowledge and coming from him what a mind-blowing technique i mean what a mind-blowing concept um that we as investors can benefit from seeing completed houses not just the dumps we need to get into some ones that have just sold and say what made this house sell um our good friend, Snap Decato, rest in peace. Snap used to say to me, John, we got to make this house pop. And I yep. never, I never knew what he meant. What, what do you mean pop? That's, I, I, 
But oh, that's I, selling that's selling the sizzle, John, and and that's Snap was right, and and we'd like to do that at Georgia Real Estate Investors Association. We talk about selling the sizzle and, and making it pop. Um, it it is selling the sizzle, and and you and I need to do a whole show on selling the sizzle. Now we also tried to do some work this house that we're talking about was on a very busy street. I mean, really busy. And we decided, and this was the idea of the contractor. So I, I would I would like to thank, I'd love to get him on the show. I can't find him right now, by the way. I think he's out of the country. Um, he said, let's put up a split rail fence in front of the house sort of as a line of demarcation between the front yard and what essentially is an expressway. And I thought that was stupid. Everybody else said, that's a great idea. And so he put up this split rail fence and I have to admit it looked great. And it worked. It set it, set it apart from the road that was right there. It's a little safer for the kid. Yeah, yeah. Good. So, and it didn't cost that much. We also tore out the shrubbery that was there, which was all hodgepodge, and put in what I call starter shrubs, which is you can just get those at at um, uh, Home Depot or Lowe's or any of the nurseries. Um, and then he put. Uh, um, pine straw all around it and made it look very nice from the street so that people from, oh, by the way, it was his recommendation. We painted the house gray, light gray with white trim and a bright red door. Now to me, that looks like a Lutheran church. Okay. All Lutheran churches have red doors. I'm a little nervous about the Lutherans because well, you never know what they're going to do. And so I, I avoid churches with red doors. But this house looked great with a red door. And and all of that is curb appeal. And again, no, John, go ahead. You know, you're talking, I know we're running out of time, but you know, you're talking about curb appeal and forced appreciation. One time when I was looking for houses, I found this dumpy house and we talked about inside information and then pulled up into the driveway and I was actually about to get out and the guy really came out pretty much with a shotgun and but it was a dumpy house and I asked him if it was for sale and he let me know it wasn't for sale but my point of saying it is my intentions were right I thought I might have found the diamond in the rough instead I found myself getting out of the driveway very quickly but <laughs> just, you know at the same time though the, the concept was there and we there are times when you can knock on the neighbor's door and see what's going on. And it's very possible that the person living there ended up in a, maybe in an old folks home and, and I might've been right. Yeah. So um, before we leave, John, I want to say the words, cause I know everybody listening wants to say it with you. Bourgeoisie. Sort of. Bourgeoisie. So we want to get it right. That's right. Well, I, um, I am happy to adopt the tenets of worldwide communism if it will help me get rich, but I'm afraid that, that I'm the bourgeoisie 
and I'm afraid they're trying to grind me between the millstones of taxation and inflation. And that's not what I want to happen. So um, another way of, of forcing appreciation that we've done over the years consistently is to either finish the basement or even preferable to that is the attic. If you can go up, if you have room to do it, you know, a lot of low profile roofs, there's really nothing there. But uh, the older homes tend to have higher pitch roof and it's not unusual that there's already a staircase there, but there may not be anything finished out. What a great place to add two bedrooms and a bath. Um, and then last, and I have done this again and again and again. Ian, uh, can you describe a popcorn ceiling? What What is that? Sure. Well, it's usually, it's got a lot of bumps. It's usually white and it's uh, it's just real bumpy and it looks kind of cheap. In fact, uh, you could buy some spray and make the popcorn ceiling. And I think there's other ways of doing ceilings. So many that are, that well, are flat. Yeah. One, one of the, if you have, um, if your sheetrock crew is not very good or they are drunk the day they install the ceiling, you're <laughs> going to have weird cracks and odd things going in it. It attracts attention. The way to cover all that up, boys and girls, is this popcorn ceiling, which is, um, I don't know if you've ever seen them apply it, but the popcorn is little white pieces of styrofoam that mix in with the paint and sprays vertically. And you have to keep adding this stuff and you end up with that textured ceiling effect and it sort of covers up uh, problems with your ceiling. The problem is people hate it. I've never met anybody that likes a popcorn ceiling. So my contractor hates it when, when I do a popcorn ceiling house because he knows he's gonna have to get those, um, uh, basically it's a, a scrub brush that we uh, put sandpaper on and they're gonna sand the ceiling and all that stuff comes down on them and they hate it, but boy, does it make a difference. So these are just some, some things that we've done over the years. And you've heard me talk about this, Ian, and I'd love your reaction to it. On more than one occasion, when we were on the cutting edge of improving a neighborhood, when the homes around us were really in pretty poor condition as well, but we felt the neighborhood had potential, we would, while we were renovating our house, we would go ahead and do neighborhood fix-up, clean-up, paint-up day. And we would contact, I don't know if you can do this now, but we would contact the local Boy Scouts and we would offer them maybe a $500 donation or something like that to buy a tent. Uh, if they would send, if they would have their Boy Scouts come on a Saturday, and offer to help people clean up their yards and fix up and just do things. We got Home Depot would usually sponsor it in exchange for a, um, a sign and they would donate paint and they would donate. I mean, I'm, it became a sign of pride in the neighborhood if your house became fixed up, cleaned up and painted up. And who did that benefit? The whole neighborhood and, and you. 
And you know what, John? Nowadays, I it wouldn't be a bad presentation to the Boy Scouts as an Eagle Scout project. You'd have to be a little bit more defined, but some kid that's looking to become an Eagle, he can take up on it. And I, I think that's I think that's a great idea because, as we know, a rising tide lifts all boats. One of the complaints I have heard about the John Adams system of investing in real estate is that you fixed up so many houses in this neighborhood <clears throat> that we can't afford to live here anymore. Well, not only that, there are no investment opportunities left, and I've got to go on and find another damn neighborhood. Well, that's a occupational hazard, but congratulations, John. You're raising your own value, and you're preaching. You're, you're talking the talk and making people a lot of money. All right. Well, what we're going to do here is it's time to run. Uh, what we're going to have to do is come back next week and finish up with Vladimir Lenin and Stalin and all the good boys at Communism International. And we're going to figure out how inflation works with appreciation to benefit us over a long period of time. We've run out of time for today, but I want to thank you for jumping on. Uh, you always have very helpful things to to add and i'm going to remind people that we invest in real estate because it's ideal but i want to add that little i to the end that inflation uh so it's now ideally <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that it's not as good as synonym or what is that called acronym right is, is that right Yep, but that's all right. You're allowed to have your own acronym there, John, and it makes sense if you have the inflation because it's going to make people money. I went to Decatur schools and I learned about acronyms. So, uh, Ian, when is our next landlord subgroup meeting at Georgia Real Estate Investors? Well, it's actually interesting. Um, we have done some renovation at the Georgia Real Estate Investors Association. Everybody needs to join just to check out the new digs. I mean, it is slick. And um, we, we, this is not your your father's uh, uh, real estate organization. They, they've done a fabulous job. Uh, We're going to be, be meeting on June 23rd. That is the fourth Thursday. Uh, pardon me, uh, June 28th. That's the fourth Thursday of the month. And uh, we're going to have a good speaker. So please join June, us. June 28th. And um, if you're interested, you can go to G-A-R-E-I-A dot org. Is that right? That's correct, John. And I, I stand corrected. I'm, I should have known this in my, hold on one moment. No um, problem. No problem. Um, but anybody who is interested in meeting like-minded people, folks that are interested like you are in how to invest in real estate. Um, I have been a member of Georgia RIA for many years. It ain't perfect, nothing's perfect, but I have met some really nice people there and I've learned a lot and it has served me well over the years and I recommend it to folks. And Ian has been the leader of the landlord subgroup for a number of years. And as you know, I recommend his ideas as well. 
So what is that? It's going to be the 28th. Is that right? No, it's, it's actually the 23rd. I stand correct. 23rd. Okay. It'll be the 23rd. And today is the 11th. So we'll tell you more about that next week. But if you want to go look at it, this is a good time to do it. All right. We have run out of time. And so we're going to go right here, folks. Guess what? That's the 3 Mark IV. <laughs> the John Adams Radio Show. And on behalf of my evil twin, Ian Robbins, this is John Adams reminding you, your financial future is not a matter of chance, it's a matter of choice. Make your choice a good one. So long, everybody.